Welcome, my friends. Welcome to another edition of Corbett Report Radio, and a special welcome to you wherever you are in the world this evening, and whatever you might be doing, I thank you once again for investing your time and your mental energy in healthy alternative news that you can use in your day-to-day life to build a more accurate map of reality than the one that the controlled mainstream media would have you believe. So, of course, I am James Corbett of CorbettReport.com, and I'm coming to you tonight, as every night, from my home recording studios here in western Japan. And it is great to have you on board with us tonight for another edition of Corbett Report Radio. And tonight we have, once again, a special guest lined up for you this evening, and this time to talk about a subject that we were talking about last week. So if you're a regular listener to this broadcast, you might remember that last week we were talking about geopolitics and the great game that's being played on the geopolitical grand chessboard right now. Of course, a term that has been popularized in in recent years by Zbigniew Brzezinski, of course, and his uh, his book on the, the grand chessboard, talking about the ways that the, the world is really manipulated for the interests of the elite and that wars are waged for geostrategic interests and without any regard, of course, whatsoever for the real human lives that are lost in them. So I think it's important for us to take a look at that chessboard and see what the uh, the players on it are doing and the way that they're aligning their forces, because I think that gives us a better idea of what's to come and helps us to actually prevent some of the, well, horrors that lie in wait if nothing is done about it. So tonight we're going to be talking to Michael Vale of StratRisks.com, and for people who listened to our uh, geopolitics episode last week, you might remember that I did mention this excellent site as a, as a good resource on all sorts of geopolitical issues with really intelligent and really uh, thought-provoking articles coming out on a daily basis. Once again, that's StratRisks.com, and we'll be talking to Michael Vale of StratRisks.com uh, t- coming up tonight. And just looking at the uh, front page, I've already identified a few stories that I think are particularly important to go over in tonight's uh, broadcast, including one that was posted up on November 11th. Clinton says U.S. turning east as Asia-Pacific region becomes world's center of gravity. And I think that ties directly into what we were talking about last week and the uh, the clip that we played from Sir James Wolfenson, the ex-head of the World Bank, who was talking about the demographic reasons why it is inevitable that Asia will become more and more the focus of world attention as we progress further into this 21st century. But just reading from the beginning of this article, geographically the United States faces east and west, but for decades its foreign policy has been mostly directed toward Europe. Now that balance is changing. U.S. Secretary of State Hillary, making a keynote speech in Hawaii on November 11th, announced that shift in emphasis as Washington seeks to recalibrate its foreign policy. The 21st century will be America's Pacific century, a period of unprecedented outreach and partnership in this dynamic, complex, and consequential region, she said. Well, again, just confirming what we were talking about earlier, but it is uh, good to hear it coming from the horse's mouth, so to speak. And uh, on November 15th from StratRisks.com, we have Why China is Setting Up Military Bases in POK, an analysis from DNA India, talking about the China Pe- uh, People's Liberation Army troops being sent into Pakistan-occupied Kashmir. Of course, a very politically sensitive area, and it's extremely interesting to see a Chinese military presence, a growing Chinese military presence in that area, especially in the light of the article we were looking at last week, talking about China uh, I'm sorry, Pakistan, becoming a potential new full member of the Shanghai Cooperation Organization. 
And then to top it all off, we have another uh, article that was also posted on November 11th uh, on strikerisks.com, Pentagon planning Cold War against China. And that comes from Washington Times, of all places. The Pentagon lifted the veil of secrecy Wednesday on a new battle concept aimed at considering Chinese military efforts to deny access to areas near, areas near its territory and in cyberspace. The air-sea battle concept is the start of what defense officials say is the start of a new Cold War-style military posture toward China. So let's take a short break, and we'll be right back after these messages. All right, welcome back to Corbett Report Radio, friends. James Corbett here from CorbettReport.com, and tonight we're talking geopolitics and the great game that's being played on the, the big risk board that is our globe these days. And tonight we're going to be talking to a special guest, Michael Vale of the very informative website StratRisks.com. So let's get straight to it. Michael Vale, thank you so much for coming on the program tonight. Oh, it's a pleasure. I'm a fan of your work for a very long time, and... Uh... Glad to have, really glad to be here, and there's a lot to discuss. Oh, there is so much to discuss, it's almost overwhelming. But I think first, perhaps we should introduce StratRisks.com to people out there in the audience who haven't uh, taken a look at this website yet. So perhaps you can tell about us about how it came together and really what it's about. Well, um, honestly, uh, probably since around, oh, 98 or so, I was somewhat aware. Um, and I'm on my little personal journey uh, towards, uh, you know, learning how the world works and how the way it really works, not the lies that people tell, not the sort of history books that are rewritten in revisionist history, re- revisionist history. And, uh, honestly, I want to uh, sort of craft a website that will give you detailed information on uh, social, political, economic, military risk. That's right. Are you, are you there? to do that. Oh, sorry. Yeah. You just got no for a second. Yeah. So every corner of the world, uh, you know, social, political, economic, military risks, uh, and what I think are important, and anybody else who, you know, sends the information my way, and uh, we upkeep it that way. Well, it is an excellent resource, as I've pointed out a, a couple of times now, and I hope that people are going to ch- take a look at it. And as I say, there are all sorts of uh, all sorts of articles on a wide range of t- uh, topics, and you have um, some interesting links as well to... to uh, James IHS and Jamestown Foundation and other sources, which I think are important to keep our eye on, because this is uh, just such an overwhelming, uh, a great game that's being played. And I use that a lot, and I use the uh, grand chessboard analogy a lot, but I think it is the best way to look at what's really going on and to to try to think of what's happening in the world as part of a a grander strategy, not just as uh, some sort of unfolding uh, of random events that are just coming willy-nilly. I think there is definitely strategy that can be discerned when we're taking a look at these stories, so let's start talking about some of those stories that I was highlighting um, earlier before the break. I was talking about uh, Clinton says U.S. turning east as Asia-Pacific region becomes world's center of gravity. And uh, <coughs> excuse me. And we have why China is setting up military bases in POK. That's extremely important, I think. And, of course, also uh, talking about the U.S. Uh, planning a uh, Cold War against China. I think all of these stories tend to add up to, to something, but perhaps you can give us your own take on really what these stories are revealing. Well, for the longest time, like you said earlier uh, in their previous segment, uh, the United States have primarily focused on, you know, Europe uh, and not really Eurasia. And uh, honestly, there's been a lot of, uh, whether it's uh, economic competition, uh, political competition with Eurasia and China. 
And, uh, of course, now with the sort of budding uh, Shanghai Cooperation Organization, which, of course, controls half of the world if you look at it on a map, obviously, you know, from a sort of strategic interest point of view, uh, these people are watching this unfold, and they see what's happening. They see how China now has a really uh, now controlling Pakistan. They're making inroads into Afghanistan. Uh, there's a lot of minerals, a lot of oil and gas. Uh, speaking of uh, Kashmir, whether it's uh, Pakistan-controlled Kashmir, India-controlled Kashmir, and China is really exerting their dominance, their hegemony, over these regions, uh, so much so that people are concerned that there may be a war between China and India because they've been both building up, they border each other, of course, but they've been really building up military over the Kashmir region and other regions really for, I guess you could call it resource war, strategic interest, uh, domination. And the United States, of course, so while they think themselves a, a great player and, you know, and grand strategist, uh, they really want a, a stranglehold over that. Look how Russia has had a stranglehold over Europe with oil and gas, literally cutting them off, you know, saying, well, you get no more and that's it. And they have to come crawling back and say, okay, well, what's your deal? You know, now you've got the SCL, Shanghai Cooperation Organization. They're creating a, a sort of uh, energy cabal, an energy club, an energy, you know, co-op situation. So that, that to a lot of the sort of Western powers is a, a big, big shift happening. It's sort of tectonic. It's so big that obviously anybody with any sense in their right mind would have to notice it. I think you're exactly right on that. It is such a, an absolute seismic shift in the way that uh, that we perceive what's going on uh, in that part of the world. And of course, you mentioned the uh, Kashmir region, which which people I, I hope do know is has been a very volatile region for a very long time. And ever since uh, Pakistan and India went nuclear, has been a potential flashpoint for uh, for a nuclear war, even, and uh, has been long been a concern to people. So to see China increasing its military presence in that region is. I think extremely worrying because uh, the the possibility of a China India war, of course, draws in the the possibility of uh, U.S. involvement because you of growing U.S. ties to India, which uh, is seen to balance out the the growing Chinese ties to Pakistan. So it's uh, it's an extremely uh, volatile situation. Well, absolutely. In that particular region, um, you had the the Cargill War between uh, India and Pakistan, and uh, during the sixties there was a war between China and India. It was very very ugly. And guess where it was really all about in that same region? Oh, they've been fighting over the same region for many, many years now. So uh, obviously, you know, there are uh, really a finite amount of resources. I'm not saying peak oil or anything like that, but there are a finite amount of resources uh, on the spinning globe of ours, and they're trying to control it. It is a great game of risk. If you sort of look at the game, I interviewed uh, Joseph Nye, uh, Mr. Trilateralist, uh, former National Security Council, you know, he talks about a, a sort of three-dimensional chess board and all moving all the pieces around. And China used to always sort of rely upon their, their sort of soft power. Yes, we are a power. We are a giant. You know, we have, you know, millions upon millions of people who are, who are part of our military force. You already know this. We don't need to tell you so we can exert our force over you. When it comes to uh, that particular region now, They'll, they're building up all sorts of bases in that area. If you just, you know, uh, go to Stratrisk and Google China and uh, Pakistan or China, India, you'll find tons of stuff. And the site's already been up for only been up for about three months now. 
That's right. It hasn't been up for so long. Um, what what brought you to start the website at this time? Well, honestly, I've been building a database of of uh, the players and what they do in the history for many many years now. Uh, really, sort of starting that with uh, Doug Owen with BlacklistedNews.com, which also co uh, edit that as well. And what I wanted to do really was, you know, highlight the hot spots. Who are the players? What's going on? And what regions? And where are these things flaring up? And how important are they? And uh, I, I really started the website, honestly, for myself. And then I just added more and more and more to it. Uh, been three months now. And now we're getting a good amount of traffic. And it's just only getting better because, honestly, every corner of the war- world we try to cover. Exactly right, and I think people will get that uh, that idea when they start to take a look at Stratus.com and the incredible amount of information you're covering. Well, we've we've brought up the specter of the Shanghai Cooperation Organization. Perhaps you can get into a little bit of the history of this organization, um, where it came from, and really what what it comprises. Well, it, it's interesting. Uh, uh, either 1991 or 1993 is is really when it was established. You could call it the sort of uh, counterbalance, the sort of uh, Warsaw Pact. Or you could call it the sort of uh, yang to the, the Western powers yin. And uh, there has to be that. There has to be uh, someone to step in during power vacuums. And all, all the big globalists talk about how America is waning in their superpower status and their economic status. And someone's going to step into that void and try to take it over uh, and, and, you know, exert their force in it. And so, honestly, uh, you've had Russia bickering with China for so many years they were enemies, and honestly, for the greater good and for the greater spoils of war, they've come together. And now they're bringing India in, they're bringing Afghanistan in, um, they're bringing Pakistan in. Some of these were observer members for some time now, but you know they are for the longest time. Uh, honestly, um, they've been watching uh, Europe, they've been watching the U.S. exert its force over the region for so many years. You know, it's kind of like a neighbor. You're watching your neighbor do so many different things, and, and honestly controlling the board, the chessboard, you know, maybe maybe it's their time. Not to say that anything they want or any aspirations are any different. It's the same aspirations. It's ultimately about control. Well, you raise an extremely interesting point there, because both Pakistan and India are observer states to the Shanghai Cooperation Organization right now, and they're both making overtures about full membership. So, I mean, that's... that. It almost seems like a contradiction to what we were just talking about with the obvious Pakistan-India tensions. But but India is smart. Uh, India has a lot of problems, but they have a lot of greatness, and they know really, you know, which side the the, the grass is greener on. You know, are they would they be isolated, um, or would they really sort of collectivize? And that's really what it is, collectivization. But when you have you know that that particular organization controlling half of the world's resources. Who, who wouldn't want to be in on it? Now, on the opposite side of that coin, you've got NATO now, who, of course, used to be a you know defensive organization now. They're bringing in nations in the Eurasian nations like Georgia, who, of course, recently went to war with Russia over the whole South Ossetia deal. So both sides right now, NATO is making moves that I haven't seen really in a long, long time, probably long before I was born. The NATO now is sort of trying, is noticing what's going on here. They've now started their own little war in Libya, which is turning into a civil war. And so, okay, we'll bring in Georgia, we'll maybe possibly the, uh, you know, 
Ukraine, other nations will bring them in, and they'll try to divvy up the pie. And uh, you have to watch and see what happens. Well, it's going to be uh, an interesting thing to watch, if if not dangerous. So um, let's come back and we'll continue talking about that right here on Corbett Report Radio. Welcome back to Corbett Report Radio, friends. We are here tonight with special guest Michael Vale of stratrisks.com. That's S-T-R-A-T-R-I-S-K-S dot com. Uh, and it's called Observing the Grand Geopolitical Game of Risk. And that's exactly what we're doing here tonight. So if you would like to get in on tonight's conversation, if you want to talk geopolitics, or if you have a question or comment for Michael Vale, you can call us at one 800 313-9443, that's 1-800-313-9443, and we can get you up and on the air. But uh, Michael Vale, returning to our conversation, of course, we're talking tonight a lot about um, China, I think, as a growing influence in, in the uh, Caspian region and in Pakistan and that area, just uh, the, the growth of the Shanghai Cooperation Organization. Of course, the other main partner in that organization being Russia, Perhaps you can talk a little bit about Russia's uh, part to play in all of this and um, and why China seems to be making more of the overt military moves while Russia seems, from my mind at least, to be hanging out, uh, back a little bit more on these uh, types of issues. Than Russia has, although Russia has their own problems. Uh, Russia seems fit to sort of, you know, uh, pl- play the role, whether it's in the UN or wherever have you, of playing the role of, of controlling resources and sort of doing their dirt in the background. They don't, it doesn't work for them as far as soft power is concerned, and it's, it's always hard force with Russia. But you know, now all the talk of Putin, uh, Putin coming back into reign, uh, of course, Putin is an old KGB hand. A lot of people call him uh, uh, a Cheka. And if uh, go Google that Cheka, and uh, of course Cheka was uh, an old uh, sort of a police force under Lenin, and uh, a brutal, brutal police force. Interesting, I've never heard of that. How do you spell Cheka? Um, same as it sounds, C H E K A Cheka, and they're called Czechists. There's actually a movie, um, for a movie called The Czechists. Everybody should check out a, a completely brutal organization where Lenin just said that. They could only have, let's say, they could. They had to kill a certain amount of people every year. And they literally either shot them in the head or they lined them up in the freezing cold and poured pouring water on them and turned them into icicles. But uh, Putin coming back into power, honestly, Medvedev was sort of like a sock puppet. He had his own ideas and his own theories and he's tried to break away from Putin's influence. But it just wasn't enough because... Putin is an old hand, and he knows how the game is played, and Medvedev is sort of up-and-comer. But at the same time, you know, Russia seems to be sort of content to sort of play play defense, if you will. They're not interested in playing offense. And, and as well as well as things are a bit shaky. They're so concerned, so scared about a sort of Arab Spring taking place where they're literally bribing the youth. They have these little you know youth groups called the Nashi and others that are, you know, basically like the brown shirts of the Nazi age, and uh, they have their own troubles to deal with, and they're not really willing to go and stick their necks out. 
That's, I mean, that's that's so right. From from what I've observed of Russian politics, at any rate, there's there is that disturbing youth movement, and there ha- there has been a, a kind of growth of a cult of Putin that's been, I think, fastidiously oh, yeah. maintained by the Russian media with all their ridiculous photo ops of a bare-chested Putin, you know, wrestling with a grizzly bear or whatever, whatever they tend to do. It, it, it is quite disturbing, and we see a lot of the demagoguery that we've seen in times past with a lot of other um, would-be dictators. And, and Putin has, like you said, sort of cult of personality type where, you know, he's got his own, like, uh, was a judo videotape or something. He's got this organization, Women for Putin, and uh, honestly, he's to me, to me, he's kind of like a up and coming like Stalin. You know, uh, he's you know he doesn't really have it the way Lenin had it. Uh, you know, the sort of wordsmith of Lenin. He's not a great thinker like Trotsky, uh, but you know he's a thug. He's he's like Stalin. Is exactly right. Unfortunately, right, and of course there was the uh, the a lot of interest in the way that he came to power, campaigning on the backs of those uh, bombings in Moscow, and um, a lot of. A lot of indications that that was really set up by the FSB. You know what? Russia, when it comes, when it comes down to the Chechens, uh, when it comes down to sort of, sort of uh, Mujahideen in uh, Dagestan and uh, many of the sort of uh, uh, Caucasus Mountain regions, their, bru- their brutality with these people is just amazing. And uh, the people are, are willing, really willing to fight back. But uh, honestly... Um, uh, I forget one particular uh, uh, analyst uh, for a website called the Expert Club. They called Russia the pig, and they called Georgia the dog, and how uh, Russia the pig, of course, has everything they need, and they're content, but they want their Eurasian Union. They want to bring all those phantom states and breakaway states back under the grip of Mother Russia. They want a Eurasian Union. That is their dream, and uh, they want to bring everyone back in, you know, regardless of how they feel on the subject. And if you've noticed, I know you have, a lot of these breakaway states are bringing in, like, uh, heads of state from Russia, old KGB hands. They're just, they're exporting them to be leaders of foreign countries. Exactly right. Well, uh, just, uh, I think incredible moves are being made right now. But, of course, we're not seeing really any of this reflected in the day-to-day media that people are consuming um, if they're following the mainstream media. And, obviously, there is a benefit to that. Um, I understand that uh, keeping the people dumbed down is, is a benefit to the elites who want to just puppeteer the system. But but I don't think we've ever seen in any time of history just such a great disconnect between what people are are thinking and talking about on a daily basis and what's really going on around them. So that's why sites like stratrisks.com are just so important right now. But on that note, let's uh, let's leave it there. We'll, t- we'll have a few-minute break, and we'll come right back with Michael Vale. Once again, you can get in 1-800-313-9443. Security will prevail, as sure as I'm the president. President Jimmy Carter. You're listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network because you can handle the truth. Welcome back to Corbett Report Radio, friends. I am your host, James Corbett of CorbettReport.com, and coming to you tonight with our special guest, Michael Vale of StratRisks.com. And the phone lines are wide open if you'd like to get in to talk about geopolitics. The lines are open at 1-800-313-9443. 
So, Michael, moving right along, there's so much, as we say, going on in the world right now, and I think we have to get to another extremely important uh, story that's developing in the uh, Syria and Iran uh, ramp up to what looks like it could be a military intervention of some sort, and, uh, in fact, indications that that's already going on from StratRisk.com November 13th. Intel source, Israel behind deadly explosion at Iran missile base. Very, very important story. And also we have reports uh, linking North Korean and Iranian nuclear programs. And we have CIA operations in Iran underway to take out Tehran Biggs in mission to dismantle weapons program. So all sorts of Iranian nuclear talk ramping up right now. Of course, what we have to see is the, the beginnings of the lead up to some sort of military strike. So, uh, Michael, your take on this situation and what's really happening here? Well, okay, I'll, I'll start first in, in, in Syria. Um, I think it's very, very hypocritical for uh, the sort of Western neo-aristocracy to talk about democracy and freedom from brutality when they're watching on television, you know, thousands of people getting mowed down by tanks and, you know, and, and, and 50 caliber machine weapons. Uh, by by Assad and his people, and watch it and still say, well, we can't be involved. And what happened really is with with Libya, with NATO, is that they got a lot of bad press. There's talk of war crimes and and all of that. So they cannot be directly involved now. And uh, so what they're going to do, they're going to use Turkey for 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 their uses. And what's happened, uh, which is so coincidental to me, is that now uh, Turkey has drones, they have new uh, helicopters, they have a new missile, uh, missile, uh, missile shield that's going up, all of this around the same particular time, as well as an interesting uh, sort of refugee from Syria named Riyadh Assad, uh, who was one of the, uh, the major forces behind the Assad uh, regime, uh, an army general who left to start the Free Syrian Army. Now, Turkey has started funneling weapons into Syria, into the hands of these people, the Free Syrian Army, who are now fighting against the Assad military. So you have a sort of guerrilla warfare tactics going on uh, with, with Syria, which really nobody is really discussing all that much. And uh, with the whole uh, Iran thing, um, it's sort of reminiscent of what happened with Syria and how, uh, you know, they got bombed it was a couple of years back and no one really, no one really said a peep about it. Well, they were bombed, you know, no big deal. Um, and so to me, I think when you have uh, Iran coming out with their bit of propaganda, and there's, of course, a nice quote from, uh, Willie Munzenberg, the big propagandist of the day. Willie Munzenberg says, uh, all, all all news is lies, and all propaganda is written to look like news. And they put their little, uh, try their propaganda out there and said that, you know, it was some accident with, you know, uh, you know, uh, with some materials and nothing to see here, no big deal, pay no attention, go back to sleep, while the Israeli media is just snickering. And, of course, they have their own sources. Uh, of course, they, they can't go on the record. But now uh, Israel's own people in the in the Mossad now are leaking all this data out to stop these attacks, and it wouldn't surprise me that uh, our our uh, intelligence agencies are, are on deck. It wouldn't surprise me of uh, MI6, MI5 being there as well because they I, I forget the article name, but it's on Stratford. They they cut a deal with Israel recently 
uh, about this, not exactly going to war, but they would assist. So to me, I think they're going to go about it the sort of slow, slow way, guerrilla style, and uh, take people out that were involved in the nuclear weapons program. Recently, they had a number of people who've died under strange circumstances. One was a suicide that was fishing others, um, all between uh, like a, a couple of months and maybe two years. All this has happened, so they've been taking it to Iran for a while now. Well, getting back to Syria for a moment, of course, you, you raised the important story of weapons being smuggled from Turkey into Syria, and uh, you have a, a post on that on Stratris, uh, Turkey deputy weapons being smuggled to Syria, that I think is important, and I think an important piece of that puzzle. But to my mind, that indicates not that uh, the U.S. is hesitant to get into that region. I think it, it it's points to the fact that NATO has really been angling to to try to foment something in there for, for quite a while, and we've seen that come out with a lot of leaked documents and other things proving demonstrably that the U.S. has been involved in funding and fomenting the, the Syrian resistance, and now we see they're being armed through Turkey. I mean, to, to me, this seems to indicate that the, the exact type of destabilization that we saw going on in Libya before they were invaded. Yeah, yes, but indirectly instead of directly. Um, uh, with the Libyan situation, the CIA went to northern Pakistan, got a lot of fighters from there, uh, they, you know, like directly using themselves in Europe and funded the rebels, of course, for Al Qaeda, but it doesn't matter. With, with, with this, they're using a kind of a different style take on it where they're using Turkey, which, of course, they border with Syria to funnel all this stuff in. And they use them as sort of the, the sort of bad guy and uh, to sort of add pressure from within and from without. Interesting. Well, we have a caller on the line. We have Owen from Florida. So, Owen, uh, what's on your mind tonight? Being just a little bit off now, but I, a few minutes ago you were discussing Putin and, and Russia, and I couldn't help but to to want to ask this fellow here if he has any insight on last year's Polish Air Force crash uh, in April 2010, and perhaps if that had anything to do with the U.S. missile system that was placed in Poland. And you know, I, I still find it interesting, and it seems kind of out of sight in mind now, but. A substantial portion of their government was lost in, in that single crash. And uh, there, there was a lot of interesting speculation surrounding the incident, and it was also during the time of the Icelandic volcanic eruptions. And anyway, that's about it. So I'll go ahead and disconnect now and, and listen. Okay, thank you for that, Owen. A very, very interesting point. So, Michael, what, what intel do you have on that, or was that just a story that just kind of fell off the radar? Well, it did, but it was so interesting because uh, regardless of what nation uh, you know you're from, there's sort of protocols that that are are, are used, and you're not going to have you know all these different people all within the same government, all on the same plane. It does not happen usually, and uh, for it to go down and just completely decapitate the government um, in, in an opportune moment, uh, when of course. Uh, you know, NATO and their their people, and of course, with the Atlantic Council, were trying to get these uh, you know missile defense systems within Europe. Now, whether it was uh, the whether it was Europe's hand, whether it was Russia's hand, um, I would move forward towards Russia. Uh, it benefits them more than it benefits the U.S. Uh, but it was very interesting, and it was very very hush hush. You know, it was just like, oh, that's so terrible. And they move on to something else. Maybe it was Michael Jackson. 
but it just does not happen. And plane crashes, especially in that region, they're so typical uh, with, with Russia. You know, Russia's tried going with radiation for a while there, which that uh, there was sort of uh, too much press involved with that. But a plane crash is, you know, normally nothing to see here. Well, that's the thing that gets me about things like that, because it just seems so obviously to point back at Russia itself that it almost seems like it would be ripe for some sort of false flag event, because like with the radiation poisoning, so so blatantly and so obviously pointed back at, at Putin and the Kremlin. I mean, it was just so bizarre and obvious that one has to wonder w- w- whether they, they think they could get away with that type of thing and with the, the, the plane crashes, or whether there's an, another force that wants just to make it appear that Russia is behind us. Uh, that's, that, that, is, that is truly interesting, because like you said, whether it's, whether it's the sort of Western powers, whether it's a, a rogue agent within Russia... Uh, uh, whether it's like you say these these different people that are with within their government that really aren't really for all of this they're really about you know themselves and making the amount of money and all these oligarchs it's an interesting question but very hard to sort of fingerprint but it is curious uh, to me that matter of fact there was a a, a document uh, called Psychopolitics would you uh, check out um, written by uh, Russian uh, t- teachers on really how to manipulate people. They talk about how they should use insane asylums as weapons. And they should, they said that suicides should be, you know, really, uh, really seen so often in the media that no one looks the other way. No one thinks a thing about suicides. And also, if you go to some insane asylum, you have no rights. Uh, go check out the document. But it's so true, whether it's a plane crash or whether it's a suicide or someone dies in their sleep. No one pays attention. And I think the sort of media goes to, to some lengths to make sure that you don't pay any attention because, of course, the media is really like, you know, dangling a set of keys in, in front of, the, in front of uh, you know, people like kittens. You know, pay no attention. Come over here. Look at this right here. I'm dangling keys in front of you. You know, honestly, they go to great lengths to make sure that you don't pay attention. Unfortunately true, and I think anyone listening to to this broadcast probably already knows that and knows that the media really has to be seen as just another piece on the chessboard itself that the uh, the uh, people who are manipulating the chessboard can can move around at will and, and use to their own advantage, and I think we have to see that. I mean, when you're watching these uh, million-dollar paid anchors feeding you all these lies, I think we have to understand that they're... They're just part of the whole system that's uh, that's working in lock unison to to try to move the agenda and move the political fo- football further down the field, and uh, and again that's why I think sites like Strat Risks are so important. I keep coming back to that, but it is important that we that we have that sort of meta level analysis. Otherwise, I think we'll just be lost in all of this. Another incredibly important thing that's developing and that you've uh, been following on Strat Risks is the uh, European, well, the new parallel government that's developing with the, uh, all the uh, banksters who are getting into positions of, of political power now um, in an overt attempt to take over the European economy and eventually the European governments themselves in the, the increasingly expanding uh, bureaucracy of the EU. Perhaps you can give us your take on what's really happening in Europe right now. Yeah, you're, you're really... You're, uh really talking about the Frankfurt uh, Frankfurt group and uh, what what this is is they know they know that it is not possible for the euro and uh, the euro and the eurozone and the EU to exist in a situation um, where as they designed it and really they designed the EU sort of piecemeal with treaties 
Um, but they know that this is not going to work for them. So they're going to have to grab more power. And honestly, to, to me, uh, James, this is kind of like the night of the long knives in Europe. It's getting these old regimes out of the way so they could completely consolidate all the assets so they can completely run the show. And the Frankfurt Group, what it is, is the, like you said, a new parallel government. It used to be between, uh, uh, Nicolas Sarkozy and Angela Merkel from, from Germany, and they really controlled everything from where they were. And what this is now is, like you said, the bankers are now deeply getting involved. It is no longer up to the IMF and the World Bank to sort of, and the export credit agencies to sort of divvy out the funds in Europe. They want to do so directly, and they want to have a hand in the say of the politics. So they can sort of shift it however they want and however it benefits them. Greece has nothing left. They've privatized islands. They've privatized all the assets. They've strip-mined these countries now, and they're no longer going for the assets. They want the whole ball of wax. Exactly right, and I think anyone who's been following the Greek story sees, unfortunately, what looks to be a, a type of template that's being set up for perhaps uh, things to come in, in Spain and Italy and other um, really members of the EU that are, that are teetering on a brink that uh, one can't imagine that the EU would, as a political entity, be able to withstand. And yet, paradoxically, of course, they're, they're calling for more uh, European Central Bank control over the situation, even as the situation continues to spin out of control. So it's and an interesting... Uh, union. A political union is really what they want. Uh, Angela Merkel has been screaming about creating a, a, a complete EU political system, political integration, where it is no longer necessary to write treaties and then take it to all the different varying uh, countries like the Lisbon Treaty and say, okay, is this okay? And then if it doesn't work, they have to go and wrangle and cut deals. You know, they want a political block, a, you know, a political economic block where the power, not only just held in Brussels, the power was only held in a handful of people, so they can basically ramrod everything down these people's throats and control everything from the outside. And honestly, I've said from day one, the idea of a one-size-fits-all economic block will not work. Okay, uh, Russia wants it, China wants it, it will not work. Especially when you've allowed these countries to just go willy-nilly with all the spending, uh, you know, retiring at 50 and enjoying life and all of that, uh, it's not going to last, especially when you're basically building all the stuff on sand. You're building it on uh, a monetary system with no backing whatsoever, and only just the, you know, the, the max amount of manipulation is going to keep this thing afloat. You know, in a horrible way, I almost think that uh, that Goldman Sachs, which we know was heavily involved in building up the uh, the Greek crisis when they they got started getting involved with the uh, government uh, ten years ago, we we know that they they sort of built up the crisis and and were uh, have been involved in the looting of of Greece. But in a weird way, they almost did a, a good thing by exposing the fact that this this type of monetary union can't work because there will always be people trying to play the margins and trying to try to set up um, whatever they can to suck profits out of these countries. Oh, yes, definitely. As a matter of fact, there's a book uh, called, uh, actually a document called Paradise Earth uh, by the former Assistant Secretary General of the UN, Robert Mueller. And he talked about how he wanted not only a North American Union, but he wanted a global union. Also goes back to someone uh, called Clarence K. Street, who wrote a document which you can find called Union Now. He talked about a transatlantic union. 
you know, they're not just happy with having a European Union, a possibly Mediterranean Union, an African Union. Um, they want a global union, economic, political system entirely controlled by a few hands. To what extent has that agenda been derailed by what's going on in the EU, and to what extent has it been furthered by this these increasing calls for further consolidation? Well, I, I, I think that it's sort of been thwarted because of all the trouble that, that we've seen. It is so obvious that anybody with a brain in their head can see the obvious risks, can see the obvious problems. Where it has succeeded is because they've, they've taken away any backing of their currencies. Uh, I can't say I'm completely behind a sort of gold-backed currency because gold is, can be manipulated just like everything else going back to the silver and gold, goldsmiths. Uh, but you have to have it backed up by something so that you can honestly give it an even keel so that you don't have the sort of crazy booms and busts of your economy and so it doesn't get completely devalued. And what happens is all these currencies, well, we'll bring it back on the other side. All right, excellent. Well, let's hold it right there, and we'll just wrap up with Michael Vale in the last few minutes. Just don't touch that dial. We'll be right back after this. There's a stranger the movie makes Another chance he takes Odds are he want to live your see tomorrow Welcome back, my friends, to the closing minutes of Corbett Report Radio. Of course, I'm your host, James Corbett of CorbettReport.com, and tonight we're talking to Michael Vale of StratRisks.com and also a co-editor of BlacklistedNews.com, which I've also referred to quite a lot in uh, the course of this broadcast. Uh, so, um, uh, Michael Vale, just wrapping up what we were talking just before the break, you were talking about the uh, the Clarence K. Street and the other individuals who are involved in creating these, forging these transatlantic partnerships and alliances. Perhaps you can... Tell us a little bit more about that. And th- this goes back, really back to almost, uh, well, actually further back than World War II, but uh, Clarence K. Street, uh, really a sort of globalist before they were globalists, talked about building a transatlantic uh, trans- union. And he talked about having a currency system, uh, back then a postal system, an economic system, and sort of merging the currencies. You can look up his document, Union Now. The Transatlantic uh, Council by the EU, and they meet with the United States and Canada, is a sort of means to do that, to harmonize the laws between our respective countries. And I think really looking down the line, uh, taking a peek at the future, I think down the line as these currencies go just you know to hell in a handbasket, I think they're going to sort of merge these currencies, whether they're going to bring them in parity with one another or manipulate them to the where they do bring these unions into line. It's been a goal for the longest time. Matter of fact, if you Google uh, World Moral Order Map, it's a map from World War II. It's written where they, they literally carve up these countries into unions. And uh, it's an interesting map to look at to see how they carved it up and what union goes where. Not only do they want a world, you know, a world union, they want a sort of world spirituality. They're trying to meld that. Uh, so they did that with the Millennium uh, uh, Conference with the EU, all the heads of the respective sort of religions, whether it's Baism, uh, uh, you know, uh, Catholicism and the rest. And they're really trying to collectivize minds here, collectivize minds, collectivize economies, collectivize everything. And we've seen through the history what happens when you do that. 
Absolutely right. Well, I think it does always go back to that in the way that people's minds are unfortunately increasingly being collectivized and otherwise occupied by the, the people who are really controlling this system. So it's always a part of how we can get out, get out of that, break through that uh, that matrix. So just in the last couple of minutes here, perhaps we should talk about uh, about strat risks and blacklisted news. And um, as you were saying off air in, in the break, I think it's extremely important for people to to uh, realize that that we have to start taking more agency and control over our own media consuming habits and, and every aspect of our lives because uh, if we just wait for other people to do it for us it's it's not going to happen so uh, we, we have to stop waiting for that uh, person to to descend from the skies to give us everything we want I think we have to we have to take that on board and, and start doing it ourselves so on that note tell us a little bit more about the various media ventures that you're involved with well, honestly, what I want to do is create a sort of massive database of the players, their actions, their histories, what's going on in every corner of the world. And, and, and really, you know, I, I do this for myself, my own sort of personal metamorphosis, my own journey. But I do this for everyone else because, you know, we have to be individuals and we have to do what's best for the rest of us as well. Collectivization isn't the best. But we can possibly offer each other information. That will never, ever hurt us. And so you have to get off your butt sometimes and get out there and wade in and get your feet dirty and get your hands dirty. Exactly right. I think uh, I think people really do have to take this into their own hands and start conforming themselves because no one's going to come along and hand it to you on a silver platter. And it's a lot of work, but it's what we have to do. So, um, so once again, it's great hooking up with you, talking to you. Uh, Michael Vale, stratrisks.com, also blacklistednews.com. Great sources for information and news coming out on a daily basis, so I hope people will check them out. And, Michael Vale, thanks for joining us tonight. It's a pleasure. Thank you very much. All right, and thank you to all of you out there for listening in, and I'm looking forward to talking to you again tomorrow night here on Corbett Report Radio.